Hello, my name is Janet Lee. I'm the illustrator for Return of the Dapper Men and a new book coming out this summer called Sea Sirens. And this is 11 O'Clock Comics. Wow. It's like you were planning it right out of the gate. Mm. Slam, bada bing, you're in there. Mm-hmm. How do you do it, David? Just tell me, how do you do it? <laughs> Ancient Chinese secret. Ancient Chinese secret, huh? <laughs> shake, 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 shake. Nobody's going to get that. Well, no, very no. few will get it. Yeah. There's a benefit to being older than a lot of people because you can... You can see the trends and the missteps and the successes and know how to predict some of them, maybe, and, and how to avoid some. So, yeah, it's experience, right? It's, 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 it's a good thing. I don't mind growing old. I'm just getting better. That's right. It's yeah. more like fine wine, baby. Speaking of fine wine. Oh. Hey, everybody. It's 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 768. And I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. Indeed you are, and I am Icarus. Oh boy, you're not Icarus, but I know what that's leading to. You're Jason Wood, everybody, here today on just another episode. We're just going to have fun this episode. That's it. Just leaning back, kicking our shoes off, having fun talking about comics. No agenda. Zero. No agenda, just chilling. Yeah. Chilling with the homies. It's the best. I look forward to this all week. Even though it's early in the week, I looked forward to it. And I'm going to be seeing your beautiful mugs in three freaking weeks. Wow. Right, baby. Unheard of. Totally unheard of. And I bet you there's beautiful mugs in the previews catalog. There has to be a mug of some kind in the previews catalog, so I'm going with I that. I bet you could probably tell me at least three of them. Right. I'm going with that as the segue because not only do they have beautiful mugs, but DCBS, that's Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, one more time, DCBService.com, has the books you want as the price you want to pay. Now, guess what, homies? The list of specials is up. They fly in the, the, the discount flag and we're all saluting because I have selected three books. Pay very special attention to these books because... They're awesome, and you should get them. And they're discounted. Two out of three heavily. (laughs) Um, The first is a blast from the past. From Boom. It's Cursed Pirate Girl. Crazy, right? Yeah, Devil's Cave number one by Jeremy Bastain. Oh, in the long-awaited continuation of Cursed Pirate Girl, her loyal companion Pepper Dice reveals that there's still time to bring back her father, the pirate Captain Douglas. If she can escape the Sea King's Palace with the Bright Star, will she be bold enough to enter the Devil's Cave in hopes of bringing her father back? Or will the Devil Jonah and his minions stop her? What? Again, Jeremy Jeremy Bastain. This is a series that's been going on forever. And it seems like, to me, he's still on the first story. Not, Not trying to be that guy, but seeing as how we are perfectionists, it's Jeremy Bastion. Is it Bastion? Yeah. He's a bastion of delicious lines. He's a bastion of of of, uh, of of uh of deep ink work, yes. Yes, very very intense, excruciatingly detailed line work. And that's what makes it awesome. I mean, it's more of an artistic event. 
I liked the story. I think it's fun. But honestly, I can't remember what happened in the last issue because it was, what, five years ago? Something like that. It's been a while. And uh, well, here it is again, like a boomerang. From Boom, appropriately enough, uh, it's $9.99 cover price. Ha, ha, ha. You're laughing because you know deep down in your soul that you're not going to pay that. You are going to pay $4.99. That's 50% off. I hope Jason doesn't snicker at this, but I selected it from Bad Kids Press. It's Frankenrocker and the Jailbait Punks, number one. <laughs> Did you see the cover of this thing? <laughs> no, I must it's, have missed it. It's friggin' insane. Frankenstein's monster forms a punk rock band with female teen musicians, and they go to outer space to fight an army of reptilians. Shut up. Open your order and add this to it. It's like Galaxy Quest mashed up with the Sex Pistols by way of Saturday morning cartoons. It's, again, from Bad Kids Breast. It's written by Royal Torres. Art by Lucas Kowalczyk. I love his stuff. Price on the cover is $4.99. You're not going to pay that, though. Though You're going to pay what? How much? $4.99. That's the cover price, silly man. Oh, I thought you said nine ninety nine. No, that's the previous one. Are oh, you, oh, are you then, looking uh, at some kind of? No, are you looking at some kind of sporting event? No, not at all. Don't have the TV on actually. Excellent. No, it's a four ninety nine cover price, but they are going to DCBS going to slash it in half. You're only going to pay two dollars and forty nine cents for this. Nice. Where are you going? Last, but absolutely, positively, certainly not least, from Fanographics. It's the return of the greatest EC fanzine ever. I don't even know if you can call it a fanzine at this point. Under Fanographics, I would call it a prozine. But whatever. It's from Fanographics Underground. It's Squatron number 14. The latest and possibly last, I don't like that part about it, um, issue of the greatest magazine devoted to EC Comics ever published. This issue includes unpublished interviews with Gene Colan and Russ Heath, an illustrated critical study of Atlas's Kurtzman-inspired war comics, a Kurtzman remembrance by R.O. Blackman, an astounding reprint of the Hartford Courant's campaign against salacious and depraved comics, a 12-page spread of Jack Davis's Coca-Cola advertising images, and much, much more. This is the truest sentence in this entire paragraph, an essential historical feast for EC fans. There you go. Yeah, I don't have the entire run of Squatron, but I got most of it, and it is just just wonderful, all of them. But Fanographics has the, has done an extremely good job, continuing carrying that EC torch. But whatever, mm. um, the cover price is sixteen ninety nine. You can bring it to your home and devour each and every word for the paltry sum of twelve dollars and seventy four cents. 25% off. Why did oh, I... I was going to say, what's that? it's not 30. Okay, 25. No, 25. I included this because it's Squatron. It's a new issue of freaking Squatron. I had to put it in here. Mm. Yes. I actually applaud all of your choices, as I most most of the time do. But I must say, it uh, it, it does seem a bit uh, indie punk rock of you to not mention the single most important single issue to the direct market in years being yeah there's there's no way i'd pump saga no way what they don't need my my effort 
Well, oh yeah. I was oh, say, you don't tell me you don't like. I mean, okay. no, I'm not. I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying. Oh, and you know what? Go buy Saga. Like, who's not going to? Who's <laughs> ready? Dubs. Yeah. Fair enough. TCBService.com does not buy late orders or order editions, and you get your books. Jason has me all a tither. Get your books all delivered, <laughs> nice and secure, and right to your front door. Ding dong. TCBService.com. Just go there and save. I'm like Jimmy Walker. Have you seen the new Medicare commercial with Jimmy J.J. Walker on it? No. At the end, of it, he goes, it's free. And he oh, does boy. say dynamite, just in case you were wondering. Yeah. I mean, the, the there were there were LCS <laughs> owners all across the world saying Hosanna's when they got that previous catalog. Uh, it's nice. Um, but I haven't kept up with it. And I'm guessing by the character lineup on the first cover of the return saga that there are characters that aren't around anymore dun, dun, dun. well i don't know when you i don't know how far back you have to go oh it's a while i mean i oh, haven't okay. read it since yeah. since maybe issue 20 oh geez okay well yeah i mean that was only five six years ago that that issue came out so you know what are you gonna do what's gonna do yeah I'm, I'm about to embark on a reread of it in anticipation of its arrival in february i would guess you'd have to at this point Oh yeah, I mean, I remember the the basic tenets, but a it was amazing, and and b um, yeah, I'd love to make sure I'm tight and right before we start getting new. You have to pull newness. out the collections, yeah. Yes, sir. And if anybody wants the first issue, uh, I would consider selling it first printing, but whatever. I'm not a whore. Uh, that's worth some scrilla. Yeah, I know. Uh, okay, drink roll call. Bing. I am finishing. The Apothic Inferno, and Dap's going to get all weak in the knees. I am drinking from Prophecy. It's the Cabernet Sauvignon. This is you drinking some Cab. Yeah, this is the Emperor. And you know why I love Prophecy, right? Because their labels are all, and, and names are all tarot-based. Yeah. Actually, I had a bottle of uh, Prophecy. I, I finished it last weekend and then i followed it with um with a bottle of uh the show which is what i brought mrs wood when uh we were there in october but um yeah prophecy's good it's not bad and it's not extremely expensive i mean right as far as wine goes it's pretty budget you know so why not yeah we were at the the liquor store, and, and I said, Nina was with me. I'm like, I want to try the Prophecy ones I haven't tried. And she goes, how about this one? And it, it's a white. I'm like, get out of here. I'm not drinking that. I don't care if it's Prophecy. Put that yeah. down. Get out of here. Don't you do I'm not sure know me? Sure you're my kid. No, she's my kid. Yeah. <laughs> she <laughs> is. All right. Um, so what else do we have to, on the drinking front? Uh, you ever have those those days where you feel like you like <laughs> you, you you fell asleep and like the like the succubus came and, and like and got like ninety percent of your life energy out of you? Oh, there's only one way up. a succubus does that, and I would and no, and then kill you for that. Up and it's like it's just in time to get your life force back, but you're like near oh, death. Yeah, no, and I never feel like that. Never feel that way. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Good for you. Yes. That's how I feel today. So I. Uh, so I'm drinking, um, it's unusual, I'd maybe do this once every three, four months, but I'm drinking a, uh, a G0, a Gatorade zero-calorie uh, 
20 ounce bottle of uh, I don't even know what fucking flavor it is. It's it's glacier glacier cherry. Oh, okay. So, trying to re- replenish the electrolytes, get the yeah. energy back. Okay then. I hope it. I hope it happens for you. Yeah, dude. It's the uh, you know you guys know I I headed back to the office this week and uh, in the last two days I have spent almost eight hours commuting. It's I and that's like it. again it was one thing when it was my life and I didn't know any different but like yeah. eight hours dude like yeah that that is an insane amount of time <laughs> like I I so, and uh, it's it's it even makes it less easy to take because you live like 10 miles away from the city yeah it's, i mean yeah that's no, right 20, i mean 23 but yes but yes nevertheless it's ridiculous still, yeah. yeah all right well let's so it is now upon the shoulders of david and myself to bring you up and get you all giddy no i'm happy. psyched i mean I, wilson it was it was nice being in the office in the terms of like seeing my coworkers and got a lot done no issues with that but but just the like I'm, I just and of course me, I'm sure this will balance out over time. But like I was just so acutely aware of the time I left my home and got to the office and left the office and got home. And I thought, Jesus, that is just like all like what the last two years what I've been able to do in those in those hours is just yeah yeah. But uh, but yeah, listen, uh, life life is about adjusting to new realities, right? So yep, I, I, it is with this. But I'm ready to talk comics with my dudes. Nice, me too. Well, speaking of cab, um, this is barrel dovetail. It's whiskey finished in rum, port, and Dunn Vineyards Cabernet bottles. It's a limited release. Um, this is bottle number. I don't know how limited this is. Two thousand seven hundred twenty-four. Um, it is. Uh, 124 proof. It is pretty damn tasty. Nice. That, that's that's some proof there. That's some proof. Yep. All right, Big C Comics. Talk about them. Let's do it. Big C. Damn. Big C. Yep. Is that, is that Charlton? Oh, I wish. I'm gonna have to go back and, and reread some Charltons. I they 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 are unfairly maligned among. Uh, I don't want to say historians, but the people who know, they always say, oh, yeah, Charlton, their books were crap, printed on crap paper. And maybe they were partly right because the production quality of the, of the, the Charlton books weren't great, but you should never disparage the art that appeared in those books. Uh, if only for like Ditko, Sam Glansman, uh, Staten, Sutton, there was a lot of great art in, in, uh, Charlton books, and I won't have it when people start pooping on them. There you right go. With you. Yeah. So, okay, let's go. Who wants to go first? Come on. I'm going to jump in. All right, you do that. Okay, so you boys remember, uh, and, you know, time's fuzzy with the pandemic and stuff, but I'm pretty sure it was like end, sort of the end of 2009, 2000, and the end of last year, 2020. Um, Maybe middle, but but at some point, uh, I was turned on by one of our amazing uh, EOC familia, who uh, are wants to post books they're excited about. Posted a couple books, a few that I had and liked, and then a few that I hadn't read. And I thought, well, this person has impeccable taste. 
so if, if they like these books, which I liked as well, I'm going to try these others. And and one of the books, the book I probably most I most remember from that collection was um, uh, Brian Blomerth's uh, Bicycle Day, which I gushed about on the show. For those that don't remember, it was a absolutely gorgeous uh, graphic novel depicting uh, the um, the creation of LSD, um, which Bicycle Day celebrates. And I just thought it was just fantastic. I mean, in his visual style and his painting and his colors were just so perfect for the uh, hallucinogenic nature of the of this of the topic. Well, um, so it's understandable then that that uh, he was then on my radar and uh, fresh in from uh, fortunately not from our not from our friends at TCBS. I actually got this off Amazon, but um, but fresh from Amazon because I pre-ordered it some time ago. One of those like gifts you, you know, I pre-ordered so long ago I'd forgotten that it was coming. You know, it's like oh, nice! I didn't even forget all about this. Uh, and that is Brian Blomworth's new graphic novel called Mycelium Wasoni. And um, if you haven't figured it out, he's got a thing for hallucinogenics and uh, mind-altering and expanding substances. My man. So yeah, it totally up Vince's alley. Um, and this is, it's not a sequel, but it feels very much like a sequel or a companion piece because it chronicles um, the journey of a real-life couple who basically wrote the book on on mushrooms. Um, Gordon Wasson and his wife, Tina. Um, and they basically, te- so, and it, it gives you their whole story and how they brought... Uh, mushrooms as both edible and mind expansive to the forefront um, of modern c- civilization. Um, so it's it basically the premise is that um, Gordon was an American working for J.P. Morgan. And this is back in like the, the 30s or 40s. You know, this is way back in the day. Um, and he met a woman named uh, Valentina Pavlovna. And they got married, so she's now uh, Tina Watson. But she's from Russia. She was from Russia, rather. And um, on their honeymoon, they go to the Catskill Mountains, and they're hiking around. And she starts foraging for mushrooms. Like, she's like, oh, look at this one. Oh, these are, you know. And he's like, what the fuck? Like, what? Like, oh, that's gross. I don't like, oh, I'm not going to eat. I don't want to eat these disgusting things. Like, it's like eating dung. Like, Like, why would you? You want to eat those? And she's just like, I'm telling you, we're going to bring them back to the, because I guess they had a cabin. She's like, bring them back to the cabin. I'm going to cook them up. Brought them back to the cabin, cooked them up. Uh, you know, long story short, he he tries them because, look, it's his honeymoon, right? I'm sure he wants to get that trim tram. Tries them, loves them. And he himself becomes obsessed with mushrooms because from his vantage, uh, he realizes that in Russia, Tina grew up not only uh, knowing about mushrooms, but they, they actively loved them and foraged for them and, and, and knew all the different kinds. And so he determines that in some parts of the world, places, cultures are uh, mysophiliacs. You know, they, they love mushrooms. But in the U.S., at least back then, we were uh, mysophobic. We, we were haters of mushrooms. And he wanted to change that. And then this book, as, as, as did Bicycle Day, then chronicles their life. Really until, for, and, and I'm, hopefully I'm not spoiling something, but it says it right in the intro, she passes away of cancer in her 50s. And it really chronicles their journey from honeymoon to her death and all of their love affair with mushrooms 
uh, traveling to different places, uh, traveling to the Middle East, traveling to Mexico to find ancient, uh, you know, uh, therapeutic mushroom strains that 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 were were legendary that they that they vet and try and document, and uh, it's it's just amazing stuff. And 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 really, I mean, the the magic of it of it and Bicycle Day are Brian's uh, illustrations. You know, he um, for those that don't remember, because this book is drawn the same way. Uh, his characters are anthropomorphic. They are uh, basically canine-like. They they very much look like 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 they could be goofy from Disney's um, family, right? Like that's how they're drawn. Um, skinny, uh, over exaggerated limbs, um, the same kind of faces. Uh, but um, but yeah, that's just the way he depicts them. But the the real the real magic is in his, his layouts, his color use, and the way that he um, shows you the, the state of people's minds when they're, when they're ingesting them, you know, and, and, and just the, the journey he takes you on. And he basically, is, he's, he's probably the best I've ever seen at drawing, at drawing tripping, you know, drawing trips. Um, and he also layers it in with these wonderfully specific, almost Chris Ware-like details about the subject at hand so you know in, in, in bicycle day it might have been the chemical makeup of lsd for a page but the page is drawn so wonderfully you're like oh that's actually interesting even though it's just chemical chemical formulas whereas in this now it's 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 uh you know it's the different types of of, of mushrooms and where they're from and and the uh whether they're medicinal or great in food or or for for you know for for mind-altering reasons and, and it's just an amazing amazing work and and what's cool about it is I'm you know unlike Vince I've I've never been one like I've never been curious about this stuff I I, I doubt I'll ever I'll ever uh, you know I'll doubt, I doubt this is a journey I'm ever going to go on personally, but I still thought it was so amazing and 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 he makes it seem like an absolutely incredible uh, experience and it's just it's one of those special things where a creator clearly has a passion for the subject. And then is able to bring that passion visually to the medium with such a purity that uh, even even though I'm sure for most the name Brian Blumworth doesn't mean a lot, if you've read either of these books, you would then, I'm sure, join me in saying, I can't imagine anyone else ever drawing a graphic novel about these subjects. Like, he's the guy for it. And, um, yeah, this is amazing. I mean, Vince, you need to read this. Uh, I don't know if you ordered it. Uh, like I said, I didn't. I don't even remember it being solicited in previews. So um, I believe it was it, it, okay. But this yeah. is. Uh, I mean, this is totally up your alley. I mean, I, you know, this is. Uh, and really, anyone, any one of us would love it because of the visuals. I mean, they're just they're absolutely stunning and so well composed. Um, and uh, I just recommend this with the absolute highest highest recommendation. I, I, I you know, I'm not going to join the fray of saying it's going to be on my 11 o'clock because a lots of things are. We always think we're going to put lots of things on, and sometimes we don't find room. But, but it's certainly of that caliber. It's certainly a book that is worthy of being considered as the best of the bunch for the year. Nice. I'm gonna add it to my list on Amazon so I remember to order. Word. Yeah. There we go. Sweetness. That's how to do it. Them, them. So what y'all bring to the table, bitches? Oh, I got two excellent things. I'm so excited. I don't know which one to start with. Let's have an excellent Orama. Uh, we could do that. We could do that. But um, uh, I may end up offending someone with this one. But I, I, I'm not really concerned about that uh, because it's a classic. It has withstood the test of time. And Jason's going to be thrilled 
because it's a work that at its core is the story of a young girl in the throes of her sexual awakening. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's right. Hashtag my genre. No, it's seriously you. Yeah. But, um, when, when I, I, I start telling you about some of the strips, um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it was published by the New York review comics. Nice big ass hardcover. I believe it's all of it. The mm-hmm. the entirety of this uh, comic strip. It was originally uh, well. The first place I encountered it was in the pages of uh, National Lampoon, and it was one of the strips, along with um, Bobby London's Dirty Duck, that at ten years old I'm reading National Lampoon, and and it, these two strips made me question if I should be reading National Lampoon at all because it was dirty and it was dangerous and very often way over my head. Um, But because of all those things, I was compelled to keep reading. Uh, And and I'll be totally honest, I didn't understand a lot of it back then. Uh, As I aged, I don't want to say matured, but as I aged, a lot of it came into uh, focus. Uh, but it, it is, of course, if you know your National Lampoon, this strip was by Sherry Flanagan, and it's Trots and Bonnie. And uh, on the surface, it's a pastiche of Harold Gray's Little Orphan Annie. Mm-hmm. And the similarities are pretty obvious. Young girl protagonist. She's got a dog sidekick. Um, unlike Sandy, though, Trots can speak. And it's not clear whether Bonnie's the only one that can hear him. Mm-mm. Yeah. Uh, Bonnie has those vacant oval eyes that Gray used. Uh, Bonnie has red hair. But Bonnie doesn't have a wealthy benefactor like Daddy Warbucks. Um, it, it, it's it's v- a very frank look at sexuality. Uh, specifically female sexuality, but it's filtered through that hedonistic lens of the 70s. And it's brought into very clear focus by, of all things, a woman. Uh, And it's much more than just, you know, the sexual escapades of a 13-year-old. Flanagan uses sex to illustrate the discrepancy between how women were portrayed in pop culture and the reality of the genuine articles, right? So, it, it you got Bonnie and her and her good boy trots. Bonnie has a a friend named Pepsi. Pepsi's a bit more worldly than Bonnie. Uh, she she's definitely more experienced in in the uh, the the arena of sex. Uh, and remember, these are thirteen year old girls, right? So. And they're very often featured nude, and they're very often featured doing things that uh, would curl the toes of a parent of a 13-year-old girl. But Flanagan's aim with this, one of her aims uh, with this strip was to say, hey, it's okay to a certain extent when guys do this and talk about this and act like this, but why is it so forbidden for females to act and talk and do these things? And... um, 
some some of it it's all lighthearted but some of it is is the stuff that you would expect to find in a in a in an orphan annie pastiche right bonnie just traipses around town getting into various um uh scenarios um there's one strip where um i think it's the most famous strip from the run pepsi tells this young boy elrod that he could do it to her if he if she lets if she if he lets her sterilize him first and that go plays into the old you know childhood thing of playing doctor right but the moment that pepsi is about to take a scissors to elrod's testicles bonnie mentions that yeah maybe trots would have more girlfriends if He'd let them do this to him, and Trotz gets all spooked and rushes the table, and he crashes into Pepsi. And in the last panel, there's a, a you know, uh, our gang handwritten sign outside this makeshift clinic that reads Dr. Pepsi's Birth Control Clinic, and vasectomy is crossed out, scribbled out, and it says sex change, 50, 50 cents, right? But so you think, oh, okay. That's the last time we're going to see Elrod, but it's not. He becomes a running gag, and and the boy seems to be immortal because Bonnie and Pepsi in one sh- strip, Pepsi shoots him point blank with a shotgun, and in another they drown him. There's one where he's in a little kiddie pool and they throw a, a toaster in there and they electrocute the kid, and he just doesn't seem to be able to die. But that's not an extended running gag it only appears in in maybe like five or six strips but there's uh, a strip detailing bonnie's first period and she's so naive right she she's coming out of school and she's like that bastard um some name some boy he put a tack on my seat and trots is like that's not from attack he said you know you just had your first period and she doesn't know how to deal with it like she's just like, what is this? I don't understand, you know. Um, but the 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 strips that I think would um, twist the the more um, uh, what's the word I want to use? Um, if you're a bit of if you're prudish and you don't get in on the joke from the get go and see what Flanagan's doing with this strip. This strip may make you feel some kind of way. Um, Bonnie and Pepsi are standing outside a men's room. And Pepsi goes, look at that guy's fingers. His fingers are huge. Bonnie's like, what are you talking about? And Pepsi goes, well, you could tell long fingers equals long winding. And Pepsi's the aggressor in most of the situations. So they trap the guy in the men's room. And they pull off his pants, and Pepsi has a ruler, and they measure his willy. And Pepsi's like, oh, my God, it's too big for the ruler. And she tells Bonnie, wait a minute, I can make it even longer. And the last, pa- the last panel of the strip is Bonnie running out of the men's room saying, oh, my God, Pepsi's choking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You gotta love it, right? But and there's one strip where Pepsi dresses as a giant bloody tampon at Christmas time. She's sitting on Santa Claus's lap, dressed as a giant bloody tampon. And the goal was she used the tampon to shoplift. 
presents. There was a trap door and the tampon, and she would she would steal presents. Um, but like I said, there there is um, there's a message here, and a long long interview in the back of the book with Flanagan will uh, flesh out exactly what some of those uh, goals were. But most of the older men they encounter are lecherous pigs. Uh, one guy makes them strip naked and play dirty, Simon says, before he even thinks about buying their Girl Scout cookies. He's like, put the cookies between your knees and walk like a geisha. And these are 13-year-old girls and they're naked and this guy's making them do the things. Very, very illegal behavior, right? Um, Bonnie's therapist, he's an older man, just wants to get in her pants, right? But the 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 key to the strip appears in a a, a one-pager in which Pepsi's in a talent show. And uh, she goes on to stage nude. And she's got a long list of things she wants to say. And it's it's trailing behind her. So she she does her thing, and this is a poem called Power, right? And Pepsi says, So you think because I wore pink booties, I'm not good at math. You think because I shaved my legs, I can't change a flat tire. You think because I can get pregnant, I shouldn't talk dirty. You think because I don't wear a jock strap, I can't drive a forklift. You think because I play with dolls, I can't fire an M16. You think because I have lace on my underpants that I don't like to drink beer and watch football. You think because my tits stick out that I don't have wet dreams. Like, Flanagan's very frank about this stuff. You think that because I don't have hair on my chest means that I can't fight back. You think because I have nothing dangling between my legs that I'm not as tough as you. Well, surprise, I have a penis hidden deep inside me. It is sleek and strong, and I use it to screw those who would have me spend my life in the kitchen. I use my secret prick to impale those who think me as a baby machine. The throats of big-mouthed sexist pigs will be the receptacle for my enraged sperm. This is a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> uh, and so, so she's reading the list, right? And as she's going through the successive entries, she's pulling the list between her legs. And the last panel, they're dragging her off stage. And she's going, hey! And Bonnie says, that was a long poem. And Trot says, yeah, and a wet one. Do you see what's going on here? It's all about the discrepancy between males and females depicted in in pop culture uh, ephemera. That's what it is. Um, delicious equal opportunity role reversal of uh, of females, and it is freaking wonderful. This book is it's an archive because not only I think does it present all of the Trots and Bonnie strip, but it's annotated. Every strip is commented upon by the creator. It's also uh, bookended by a meaty interview with Flanagan. And then there's some uh, roughs and, you know, sketchbook drawings in the back. And it is just an impeccable addition to, I think, uh, my library. I love every bit of it. Uh, like I said, if your sensibilities are, are uh, you know, traditional, let's just say, maybe you would find this offensive. I don't know. But um, once you're down with the equation 
and what Flanagan's trying to do here. I think um, these characters stop becoming constructs of teenage girls and start becoming mouthpieces for uh, Flanagan's agenda. And it's, I think it's a worthwhile, very valid agenda. Like, hey, we are every bit as equal as you, and you're going to start realizing it. We think about sex. We think about all these things. Um, but just be wary. It's, um, it could get raw. There's no penetration shown, but the, they, like I said, they are teenage girls, and they are very often pictured nude, so take take it as it comes right um it is it is a wonderful strip and i was right to feel like maybe i shouldn't be reading this because as a as a teen well at then like i said 10 11 years old i had testosterone running through my veins and a lot of it i didn't understand but as a 50 something dude i get it and what she's speaking is the truth so if you are bold and adventurous check out trots and bonnie from new york review comics gorgeous hardcover 39.95 but amazon has it for far less than that it i'm looking at it it sounds interesting but uh it's one of those things where without context it could seem like the wife would be like, what the fuck do you have this for? It's not Brandon Graham level. Like there's, like I said, it, it's not explicit. Uh, the things are but, suggested. Yeah, but Brandon Graham isn't doing that with 13-year-old girls, though. Like I'm seeing the panel you're talking about where the two girls are standing there naked and he's telling them to, to find the the thing on his body. Yeah. On his body. And yeah. it's like that is, again, you know, the likelihood of that particular page being opened up and read by said said wife, but I'm like, I could like that's the kind of thing where you know they're like, what in the fuck do you have this for? Why? Like, like, you got to finish off that strip. The girls are completely down with it. They're happy to have sold their cookies, and they willingly engaged in all of those activities to sell said cookies, and it ain't a thing to them. They realize they're desirable to this older man so they they exploit the fact that they have him where they want him not the fact that he has them right i think that's the message here um Mm -hmm. and 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 again they're not 13 year old girls they're lines and color on paper right so there were no underage or or there were no minors harmed in the making of this comic strip these characters don't exist it's just flanagan using a borderline um, offensive mechanism to speak her mind, and it, I think it's just a wonderful strip. Yeah, yeah. Well, the FBI doesn't care if they're drawn or real, but well, why? They're the drawn characters well, aren't. We've had real. this conversation years past when people get in trouble for the hentai and stuff. Like, if you possess drawings of child porn, that is viewed as a crime in most places in the United States. I mean, this wouldn't count for that because it's a public. Like, I'm not saying that this would count for that, but but I'm saying like the, the, the again out of context. If you had the, like the images, like it, it would definitely be perceived by many as as a criminal thing, regardless of whether it's re- a real real kids or not. 
makes zero sense to me. No, I, I know. We've had these yeah. conversations before. Yeah. I'm not saying it makes sense, but I'm saying that, that that is the way it would be perceived by many people. I get it. And it was bold. And, yeah, clearly. I mean, and, yeah, geez. Yeah. I mean, Lampoon took a major risk including this within the because mm-hmm. dirty duck was dirt was as it says in the title it was dirty but they were all of legal age i mean even though they were ducks and other kind of anthropomorphic characters they were uh, i mean dirty duck smoked a cigar so you automatically assumed uh, you got the impression that he was you know at least maybe 20s if that if not older but this is very very specific in one of the like i said in one of the strips she gets her first period right mhm so and 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 other strips uh has bonnie's mother finding her porno mags in her dresser drawer and bonnie's like where's my magazines and the mother's looking at them in in bed with a flashlight at night and the father's like you're keeping me up like so i mean it it just it it it's a examination of why things work for little boys and don't work for little girls yeah, I mean, in, in looking at it here, I mean, clearly, like you said, it's, it's basically a feminist manifesto in many ways. Yeah, oh, of course it is. That poem says it right there. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so it is very interesting. I, I mean, I have to say, like, I, I would definitely like to read it when I'm visiting your house. <laughs> it, uh, it, it, I think it has huge cultural importance. Sure. Yeah. In, in comics. Um, mm-hmm. I, I totally understand why someone would look at this and say, "What the hell are you reading? That is that's filth. It, it's it's it, it that is the definition of pornography. It should be stricken from." But no, it, I mean, there, it does have redeeming social value, and it's a very mm-hmm. important important message. I I think Flanagan is uh, a genius. You listen to her speak, and she's got. I mean, the woman is is incredibly smart. So much so that she brought this to the table in 1971 when mm. people weren't very willing to give something the chance. They, they, they would judge, uh, there are nude children in this comic. How could this have any value? Well, it, it joke's on you because it does. Not just don't take my word for it. Read the damn thing. Um, and, and you judge for yourself. I'm speaking to the listeners, not you guys. Yeah. So there you go. I love like it. it I love this yeah. book. This is one of the ones that the the uh, the the library just opens up and golden light shines as I place it upon my shelf. There's even glitter in the light. That's how important this book is to have in my library. Glitter. Come on. Glitter. <laughs> That's good shit. Yeah. But let's hear David. What what you reading there, Bubba? Well, since uh, we're trying to focus on the excellent, um, one thing I read was uh, I expected to enjoy it immensely based on their past uh, works, and um, I'm so not disappointed. And that's that's a complete understatement. I. I posted on the Slack that I sat down to read this and I was just going to, you know, get started with it. And because I was going to read a little bit and then go about and take care of other things, but I could not stop. And this is the third reckless book, Destroy All Monsters by Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, 
and Jacob Phillips, and I'm not I'm, I'm not gonna go deep because I, I, I'm not gonna spoil anything. Um, the first book was absolutely fantastic. We all loved it. Second book was really good too. I, I, I thought they're still you know hitting on all cylinders, but there is something about this book. And yes, I know it's 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 recent, and I just read it, so it's it's there's the possibility that it's fresh in my mind. But because of what we find out in Destroy All Monsters, um, this is almost tied. Uh, with the first book as my favorite. It is very, very close um, to being my favorite of, of the three. And uh, there's a few reasons for that. It's, it's, it takes place in in, uh, in 1988, so we're a little later than the previous two books. Um, but we get a lot of backstory. We get, we, we, we get a lot of information. We, we, we really break down more or less the relationship between ethan and anna and and that kind of just and also the theater uh el ricardo is is featured prominently in this story and um there's just something about knowing more and maybe it's because you know we we've known these characters and and the setting for about a year now, or just over a year, but uh, you know the fact that we didn't get all of this information up front, um, and it's still kind of impactful to me. That it, that's it says something about not just the creators, but but the creation that the, the, this other uh, dark and dirty world that uh, Ed and Sean have created it it's um and if, if, if you've read either of the other two reckless books you know who ethan is it, it there's no real change here except that there is um he still does what he does he's he, he helps people who are looking for the help um who can't go elsewhere to to have their problem solved but uh because of the events because of there's because of the relationship between ethan and anna um it feels a little different because we're we're really the other stories were you know ethan is telling the reader how things came to be and 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 what the case was about and who the clients were from his point of view and 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 it's still like that in this book but we're getting a little bit more into ethan's life and and his mind and and why he um he's 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 a little he's got a soft side and and that's that's shown here more than the other stories um the it's there's still the whole there's still a mystery to solve uh things aren't so cut and dry uh but it doesn't um but it plays out the way you would expect it to it looks absolutely fantastic of course uh, uh, but I mean, there's, and, and there's little things and, and, and Ed even talks about it in the back matter, you know, there's little things that would be like almost like a throwaway line, just, just, just to set the scene, just, just to make the environment, to make the, the setting, um, more real and lived in because he is pulling from, from some historical things and, and things that actually happened or existed, um, 
out in California back in the in the seventies and eighties, and and uh, so so it really adds weight to to the story, to this world, to um, to the characters. Um, it it's um, whereas the other books might have ended on a bit of a happy note. Um, that's kind of hidden here a little bit, but um, it's still so damn fantastic. It, it is. Um, it, it if you haven't read it, if you're waiting to read it, if you're like, oh, okay, okay, this came in my box, or I, or, or you know, it's I'm gonna get through these issues of of anything else. Or, or I have other collections to read, or, or I'm saving this because I know I'm going to love it. Just, just fucking get to it. Just, just read it, and you're not. It's not something you have to really sit down and just take your time with. Oh, you know, this is going to take me the better part of the day. It, it may. It's, it's, it's a beautiful looking book. You're going to get lost in the panels, um, but it, it, you, you. I'm going to say you can't put it down. You cannot stop it. It's it's once you start reading it, and you get to one page, and you just it, it really is. I mean, whereas with with you know with with Barry Windsor Smith's monsters, there was you would need a break. It it that's a thick, dense book. There's a lot of words. There's a lot to take in, um, and there's you're, you're getting a lot between the two covers in Destroy All Monsters. But it it it's, it sounds weird to say the time flies by. It it it's not a quick read, but you just I for me I just there was no way I was going I I thought about it for a second I I'm a few you know I'm maybe a quarter into it I'm like all right you know this is this is probably about a good time to put it down I got I got other things to do but that shit didn't happen I just I stayed seated stayed seated and I just kept reading and and uh and, he, and i still didn't get up right when i finished and i closed it i still sat there for a second i'm just like motherfucker i i really really um enjoyed this so flipping much if if um i i wish we'd all read it so we could kind of just kick back and, and and talk about it but it is a uh it's it's just so good. I, I really, really, really. I, I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's the era. I don't know if it's because it's. You know, it's. It's. It's the late eighties, and um, and it's we're we're you know distanced from any any war, and uh, we're just. It's it's kind of just a, a different. It, it's almost like there really isn't. It's not like this one specific case. Like there was in the second book, where that was kind of like just what everything that 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 was Ethan's focus for the entire book. It's the way the way this is laid out, the way this story is told. Um, you almost get like a little bit of a of a breather, but there's still something going in the back of Ethan's mind that you know things don't. There's not things ain't sitting right with him, and and uh, and that I think helped me. Um, that allowed me to just keep going through because if it's if it's something that he isn't um if, if he hasn't gotten all his answers yet then then i haven't and and i gotta see where the hell this is going so this royal monsters is absolutely um one of the best things i think that uh 
and this is me, one of the best things I think Ed and Sean have done to date. Yeah, I co-sign. I co-sign. I, I, uh, I'm gathering from our, the way you're framing this that Vince hasn't read it yet. Uh, I don't think he has. I, I didn't get it yet. It's, oh, shit. it's coming in my box. Needless to say, there will no, there won't be any preview images other than the cover in the in the gallery because I okay. no, I'm not searching it. No, no, don't, no, no, no. I want you to read it definitely. I mean, I know you would, but no, yeah, I don't want, I don't want anything sullied for you. So there you go. Dead, That's dead yeah. What's up with that? Don't know. I, I I don't know. It's just weird. Strange. For real though. Yeah. What else, Jason? Well, I'm glad that Dap didn't say his excellent comic was Newburn number one. I'll just say that. <laughs> glad because I would have. I was it yours? No, no. <laughs> what were you talking about? I did. I, listen, and and you know, it's 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 a joke or what have you, and ha ha. Oh, you know, he's not gonna Newburn number one. I I yes I. We got the image previews. We got the PDFs. I did read it. Um, it is. It's. It's Chip Zdarsky. It's Jacob Phillips. It's. I think it's a. It. It was. It was a pretty cool first issue in the sense that I mean it. It, it read like uh, any seventies or eighties procedural cop kind of drama. Um, it. It's. Am I interested in in a couple of the characters? Yeah, um, it wasn't. It didn't blow me away. It didn't like make me think, "Oh my god!" Now I finally see what everybody loves about the dark. It, but it is one of those things where I'm like, I, I gave it a shot, and I um, I can see me, I can see me checking out the next issue when when we get the PDFs. But um, I didn't want to just outright dismiss it. So, uh, what did you think of it, Jason? didn't didn't love it didn't love it okay felt pretty formulaic to me Um, right yeah and it's really really unfair like it's really unfair to say this but i couldn't help but think like what jacob's dad would have looked like if he was drawing the book like i'm like "Mm," like this like you know it's I mean, his dad's got what thirty years of drawing on him, so it's it's an unf- like totally unfair comparison. But like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I I thought that the line work was not what I was hoping it would be. Oh, okay, that way, it just didn't have the finish that I was looking for. Um, it looked like Sean without. If if he didn't have a strong handle on anatomy, like it, it looked like the stuff was, it looked like the line work was just like not quite fitting on the skin in a lot of panels. And I, I again, I chalked it up to inexperience, or maybe it's a stylistic choice, but but it didn't feel stylistic to me. I'm more forgiving when it feels stylistic, but uh, yeah, you know, it. it, uh, it I, I think I'm one and done with it. One and done. Okay. All good. Have you either of you ever read the Nocturnals? Yeah, of course. A long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fans of it? Yeah, I like Brereton. I mean, he could draw anything, and I would read. But see, it. that's the th- okay. So that's the thing. So I, I read the, no- the the hardcover Nocturnals omnibus 
that just came out from Dark Horse um, a week or two ago. And it was a white, it was definitely a white space for me. And uh, I'd seen a lot of Brereton's work, uh, commissions, you know, pages floating around. So, like, I, I visually knew what I was getting into. Um, but I just knew nothing of the work itself. And uh, I found it to be a slog. Like I found it to be a real struggle and, and I, um, and, but, but what you just said, Vince is right. Where it's like the art is exceptional, but I don't know how to say it, but I was thinking about the way I wanted to convey this. I felt like at times during the process of reading it, um, that the art was too detailed. Like, because, and for those that don't know, Brereton's he's a painter and this is a, story basically it's a noir uh, a crime noir book where uh, in a world where uh monsters are, are real they exist you know like like the uh like like movie monsters you know track the vampires and werewolves and frankenstein and like um so like every page is so lush with detail it looks like a movie poster and while individually each page is an absolute sight to behold i felt like it was like too much. It was overload for trying to convey a story that had motion and energy. Right. So like, I was like, I felt almost weighed down by the art where I'm like, my man needed to like, like the only analogy I could come up with. And uh, this is going to be lost on anyone that doesn't have tattoos is, you know, when you get a tattoo, a lot of the more experienced tattoo artists will say, you got to let, you got to have skin breaks so that when it ages, it'll, it'll look good. Right. Like, like newer tattooers try and put in all this detail where they, just cover your skin with ink and they, they hammer in a lot of white ink and light inks and that's going to fade. And then it, the tattoo is going to look wonky. But what an experienced tattooer would do is, is let there be breaks where your skin itself is the shading, you know, or the light. Um, I was craving that. It was like, it was like, or dap as a, as a, as a chef, you know, this like I was craving a little acid to break up the, the fat, yep. you know, yep. like, and again, like it's not that the, the, the dish wasn't lush and I have absolutely no complaints about, any of the brushwork I saw, it's gorgeous. I mean, Burns a fantastic. I mean, I would love to have a commission from Burns. Like, it's gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. But I just thought, relative to trying to like dive into the nocturnals and and get a bunch of nocturnal storytelling in one phone, one sitting, it was just like t- a too rich of a meal. And I know that may sound like a really strange criticism, but it is how I felt about the book. I just felt like I was overwhelmed by the by the uh, amount of 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 paint that was on each page. And I, I, I wish there was a little more room to breathe. I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but that's re- that's like how I felt. And I can't think of too many comics that I've read where I felt that way, where like the art was almost too overwhelming. And so I just thought like, oh, that's interesting. Like I, I just, I would love to have seen this just a little bit toned down and a little bit more focused on the narrative instead of giving us like what seemed to be like a, uh, you know, just a movie movie poster quality image on each page. All right. I guess I, I guess I guess neither of you share that viewpoint. I mean, Did I can go to I take could, a piece. Let's go to pee or something. He's not commenting here. I, I, I certainly don't feel that way. I'm sorry. I had the mute button on because I was researching mm-hmm. images. Uh, no, I've I, I this is not a, a, a derogatory um the word whatever but i don't buy dan brereton books for the story if the story's good it's a bonus um 
I've I've always loved dance work from you know Black Terror on up, uh, mm-hmm. Nocturnals, Giant Killer. Uh, he's he's amazing. I buy his books for the art, and yeah, and I that, I mean that's not really I mean that's not necessarily in disagreement to what I'm saying in the sense that if 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 I had bought like a Dan Brereton art book or like his his latest like a hardcover sketchbook or something, and I saw these images, I'd be like, damn, Brereton's a beast. You know what I'm saying? Oh, he definitely but, is a beast. But because this was a collection of the Nocturnals and its stories, and it covers, you know, from the, the start to it, you know, covers decades of his work, um, where clearly, at least to his mind, to Dark Horse's mind, the narrative is important. I was like, man, like, I don't know that, like, like it, it seemed like the, the rubber didn't quite meet the road. Uh, I, I think I saw it for what it, what I think it is, or it mm-hmm. was, and that was Brereton trying to create his own Min- verse. Right, sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, again, the, if the, the story is slightly enjoyable, that's a win, because it's it's just wrapped in all these gorgeous images. Like, Thrill Killers, a, in my estimation, a great book. Is it really, though? I don't know. Like, the story's okay. The same with Giant Killer. Uh, but you put Dan Brereton in a book drawing kaiju and this monster hunting protagonist, uh, that's all gravy for me, right? I'm not too discerning when it comes to the stories accompanying Dan Brereton artwork. That's, I guess yeah, that's what maybe, I'm trying to say. Maybe that's fair. You know, again, it's sometimes it's all in the packaging, right? Like, right. like um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll leave it there. Leave it at that. It just, it was, again, I'm, I'm not bespoken smirching the nocturnals and and um i'm sure for some people it's like the bomb.com but um it was just it was an unusual experience like i said because it wasn't like i was put off by the art quite the contrary but i just felt like almost overwhelmed by it relative to trying to enjoy the story yeah it's pretty freaking detailed mm-hmm. yeah yeah i i love his painting stuff that being said if the motherfuckers the heroes next year i'm getting him i'm trying to get a painting from him <laughs> <laughs> oh, you gotta, yeah, yeah. So sure, he's a wonder. I I remember. I think I, I it was either on Twitter or, or something that uh, he, uh, he sent out a tweet where he's like, "Yeah, I ran into my old uh, college painting uh, professor or, or something along those lines," and he's like, "Yeah, you still doing those those funny books?" And <laughs> and, and the wind was knocked out of Dan's sails. Yeah. But mm. if if everyone did the funny books like Dan, <laughs> uh, yeah. It would be a beautiful, wonderful, exciting, vibrant, that's true, amazing it world. Would Although we wouldn't, <laughs> we wouldn't get we wouldn't get monthly comics though because no. we can't do that kind of thing on a monthly. No, page no, 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 no. I got something fun. Good, you better. You know what this is? It's a fanzine flashback. Oh, look at you! Dun, dun, dun. Yes, Shit. let me buckle up. Yes, this is coming from Graphic Story Magazine number twelve, which was published in the spring of nineteen seventy one. Jason, you weren't even an idea then. Neither was Dap. Neither was Dap. This is true. <laughs> Damn, Dap is trying to throw you, throw you into that, that fitty bus. Uh, the <laughs> the uh, magazine was edited by Bill Spicer. Not to be confused with Graphic Story World, which was a fanzine published somewhat concurrently, which was well, edited... I clarified, because that's what I thought you were talking about. No, I mean, if you're a fanzine head, these two... Fanzines are going to ring the bells, right? Um, Graphic Story World was edited by Richard Kyle, and that became Wonder World, 
with, I think, the ninth issue. But anyway, so why is this issue of Graphic Story Magazine noteworthy? Okay, well, in addition to Bill Spicer and D. Bruce Berry's long-form adaptation of Eando Binder's Adam Link's Vengeance, you guys know who Eando Binder was, right? Sounds familiar. Well, it should, because uh, the last that, name should yeah. ring bells, Binder. Yeah. Eando Binder is actually a two-headed giant. Eando was the nom de plume for Earl and Otto Binder. Um, so Otto, you know, among his many accomplishments, was the co-creator of Supergirl, wrote a ton of stories for DC and many for um, Fawcett, uh, the Marvel family. He also did some Marvel comics. He had a nice run on Marvel Mystery and uh, a sweet chunk of Captain America. But uh, back to the reason why I'm slapping this on the table. This issue contains John Benson's fairly lengthy interview with John Severin. Ooh. Yes. Uh, the conversation swings from John's love of history and the West and the Western genre, uh, his meticulous attention to detail, and uh, his aspirations for authenticity. That's the one thing John always sought. If he drew a, 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 a saddle, he wanted it to look like an authentic saddle. So he would research saddles and boots and clothing and buildings. Like none of this is surprising if you've ever seen a, a lick of John Severin artwork, right? But But Severin did drop a couple bombs during this interview that had me kind of raising my eyebrows. Um... Benson asks him who his favorite writing partners were. And at first, John says, I have two. Jerry DeFuccio and Colin Dawkins. Now, Dawkins is like a minor footnote. He, he wrote, co-wrote some of the American Eagle stories that Severin did for uh, Prize Comics Western. Um, and DeFuccio worked for D, uh, EC, and he, he had a stint on our fighting forces and Star-Spangled War and blah, blah, blah. But Benson had to coax Severin to add some more to the list, right? So Severin names Kurtzman, of course. Um, and then he names Stan. And he says, you know, Stan's work he calls fun. And he said, um, you know, that Roy Thomas is pretty good. Archie Goodwin's really good. And this is where he completely boggled my mind. He says... Well, what about Cracked? What, what about all the writers you work with at Cracked? And, and, and Severin says, he doesn't pay much attention to the names of the guys writing for the mag, at least not the ones he didn't, like he didn't work directly with. And he says this, he says, I don't see how anyone could include that kind of writing in a discussion about comic writing. Meaning the humor stuff was somewhat inferior in some way to standard comic book writing. And I just don't understand the comment. I just don't see how it clicks. Writing is writing, right? Whether it's humor or action or science fiction or fan, like it's, it's, it's all storytelling, right? So what's the difference if you're writing one page gag strips or if you're writing long form comic, like you're, it's still a creative endeavor and John just totally dismissed it as being somewhat a couple notches below standard comic book writing, at which he he explicitly says in this interview, 
doesn't think it's all that very good writing for comics in general. He says that the, the golden days were behind them and they're just recycling the same old, same old at this point. And this is like 1971, right? Jason will agree with this because Severin goes on to lament the fact that comics in America were not produced with the same care and attention as they were in Europe. Hardcore big facts. Right? Huge facts. So that pendulum swings away from the writers and toward the artist. And uh, Benson asks John which artists he likes. And the first name out of his mouth is Roy Crane, who I talked about last episode. And then he goes on to name Infantino and Toth and Kubert and Al Williamson and Reed Crandall. And he gets to Kirby. And he says he can't stand Jack's inks worth a damn because it doesn't do justice to his drawing. And I'm going to read you his words verbatim because I I don't want to miss anything here. He says, "Um, when you get somebody else on his pencils, they destroy them. He might as well ink it himself. Forget it. The trouble is, they don't have anybody with enough imagination or sensitivity who can recognize the strength of these drawings. They're fantastic. And they come up and they ink it with these beautiful whoop-de-doo thick and thins all over the place. And it's nothing. It's a total loss. I I was wondering whether I agree with that or not. And I I can say that I, I, I don't. Because there were some inkers that managed to capture Kirby's power. Maybe not in 19... Yeah, in 71, there was there was definitely inkers that could capture his... his because Mike Royer was inking his work then, right? And and mm, yeah. I, I totally agree that Mike managed to secure that energy that Jack infused his pencils. Um, so, John, I mean, th- th- that was not a strike against John because I'm a, I'm a total um, acolyte of John Severin, but... And just very surprising, but it wasn't the most surprising thing in the in the interview, because I thought the real kicker was John's revelation that he wasn't all that interested in comics. As a kid, he read some, but he never had aspirations to be a comic artist. So how did he get to that position? <coughs> Yikes! <laughs> You're right there. I was stupid enough to have a drink before talking. And it all goes back to Harvey Kurtzman and Will Elder and Charlie Stern. These, the three, had a studio on Broadway. And Charlie left. I think he went to France to study art or something. And Severin jumped in to fill that vacuum. Studio space, okay. But before Charlie left to study art... Severin asked him, he's like, hey, what's Kurtzman working on over there in the corner? And Charlie says, he's drawing comic books. And Severin said, oh, that's that's great. How much do you get paid for a page of comic art? And when told, John said, gee, that's not bad. How many do you do in a day? And Charlie tells him. And Severin says, well, you know what? Forget about all that other business. How do you get into this comic book stuff? And, and there you have it. Severin entered the comic book field primarily for monetary reasons. 
And if it wasn't for Charlie Stern and Harvey Kurtzman, he may not have entered the comic book arena at all. Huh. Yeah. And and it's it's odd because you know, we we all have our heroes and we like to think our heroes entered entered whatever arena it was that they're awesome in for the love of art and the love of creating and Severin flat out says it was because these guys were getting paid good and he you know wanted to wanted to make money and it's hard here in this kind of stuff because you know you look at Severin's pages and in my estimation one of the greatest comic book artists of all time bar none I think uh, Severin has very few rivals in in terms of craftsmanship there are some but Severin's up there for me in his just ability to tell an amazing story, his meticulous attention to detail, um, especially in the war stories, uh, and and even in the pages of Cracked, when John was was doing humor, he was amazing at it, and didn't think two things. Yeah, I'm just you know I'm just filling up panels. One of the things during the entire interview. Uh, Benson's asking him about stuff he worked on a, a couple years before the interview. John didn't remember any of it. He's like, "Did I work on that? I don't know. I do oh. so. I do so much. It's, it's you know. I, I don't don't pay attention." And um, Benson's like, "Well, you know, you you have all these books you worked on, right?" He's like, "No, nah, I I only keep the ones that I think I did a really good job on." And like he, so he didn't collect. He didn't, you know, read comics. He didn't try and keep up with what was happening in the industry. He had comments on it, obviously, but it didn't didn't seem to be a hardcore comic fan or even a um, a, a medium core <laughs> comic fan. He was apparently from this interview just in it to to make some money. And I'm gonna read the. Uh, I just got the the two volume Fanagraphics uh, EC interview. Uh, you know, the large format comics journal collections where they, they scoop all the interviews they had under a certain umbrella and they'll put them, you know, uh, the library. I'm going to read the Severin interview in there and see if the information is uh, copacetic with the stuff that's going on. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. because I, I don't know, I, you know, who knows? Maybe Benson caught John at a bad time or he was, you know, in a low period. I don't know. But John doesn't didn't seem really interested in, in, in comics at this point. He was just in it to 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 do what he did very well and get paid for it. And should we expect it's not unusual. That's what but what that's what I'm saying. Should we expect more from the guys we love? Like what if Kirby was just doing it to pay the bills? He was, wasn't he? He was, yes. But you can't, you can't ascend to that level of creation without absolutely loving what you're doing. You cannot be that good and create all of those things and have them, like the the synergy in the early Marvel universe is crazy, right? You there's you cannot convince me that Kirby wasn't loving every minute of it. Maybe it, a better example that would be my, my man John Buscema. I mean, he, he right. notably hated he hated superheroes. Yes, yeah. Like he he hates that he's he wishes he wasn't known for drawing superheroes. But to my knowledge, John didn't really create all that much. And not saying that. I mean, in terms of concepts and characters, John did a great job on Conan and the Avengers, and everything he did was a virtuoso performance. But he didn't really invest any conceptual. 
on the on the narrative side of it. Yes, he fleshed out the narrative amazingly well, but John didn't say, "Hey, let's let's introduce this pickpocket to the story, and I got a reason why I'm doing this, and let's just you know make this like I think John was just a a, a workman, like he just loved to go yeah. in and and get the job done and get out. I guess what I'm saying is like it seems like. I agree with that. But like, it wasn't really that uncommon. These guys were working for a pay t- paycheck, right? Like, they would have been just as likely to be doing political cartoons or newspaper images or advertising if, if it paid the bills, right? Right. It was just this is how they paid their bills. So. And then on the flip side, you had guys like Jack Davis who would do all the advertising stuff oh, and, yeah. and still draw comics. Mm-hmm. And then oh, the same thing with like Kurt Swan with the hostess ads, and then, yes. yeah, and then whip out how many. And these guys were so prolific. I mean, nothing yeah. like today. I mean, these guys were literally working on dozens of things in a month. I mean, they were, you know, yeah, right. Like they were drawing. I mean, <laughs> there were no both, filling issues. There was yeah, and they. I mean, they were doing more than an issue a month. Plus, yeah. they were doing covers. Plus, they were doing ads and stuff on the on the side. Like, they, yeah, I mean, their graphic design. It, it's, right. These guys were just so much faster, and it was very much like an assembly line for them. It was like literally punching the clock. Yeah. For not not like it's enough for all of them, but. Right, but the thing, and then you get the extreme examples, like Wally Wood, probably probably the greatest draftsman comics has ever seen. And I mean, Kirby's my favorite, but Wally drew circles around Jack, right? Sure. And then you get this guy who is slugging it out in the industry for so long and doesn't get the accolades that i don't know he thought he should get or he he wasn't getting work and he 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 wasn't being utilized and he just killed himself probably yeah. and well, again he's a tortured soul I mean, sure yeah. but but yeah. the 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 tip of the iceberg when it comes to visual representation in comics nobody's better than wally wood it, I, this is again is just me uh that's just you know again I, obviously my opinion and then he takes his own life. Like, it's just, it's odd that you have a, a guy as, as amazing as Severin, who's, yeah, I'm just, just doing it, whatever. I'm just going to move on to the next project. And then you get a guy like Wood, who's sweating out every job, trying to make each facet of this thing just perfect. And then, boom, um, ends his life. It's, I think that there's a lot of truth in the, the, uh, the saying that you know don't get too close to your heroes because inevitably they'll they'll disappoint mm-hmm. you. and i and that's how i felt after reading this interview that mm-hmm. was a little bit disappointing because i expected this this guy to be like waving that go team comics right but no it was anything but yeah no, it, it's definitely a um it's i don't think generational is the right word it, it's it, there's it was just it was a different mindset it, it's the same thing like it's it wasn't until a handful of recent years where that that saying of you know if if you do what you love you never work a day it, things these guys were, it was it was a paycheck they were good at drawing and they were able to bang it out and I mean it it's it wasn't which which is why the, the whole, in, they didn't they didn't care about the original art they didn't care about the, they, they were they were paid to draw Spider Man or Daredevil or Superman or or Green Lantern or whatever and and that was that was the job so um yeah i mean we we're, we're we're attracted to what's on the page and maybe we project or 
impose what we're feeling and hoping that the person drawing it that we have that connection with feels the same way it's it's not the case and and you, know, yeah. you have some creators who were just like listen it was a paycheck i drew it and i'm done and then you have people you you've got but i mean it's not like everybody at that time was like that because obviously bob kane knew he had something and and he you know dad made sure dad was a lawyer made sure that you know his son got his and and you know for good or bad and, and knowing how little bob actually contributed to batman and the myth you know he he lucked out and, and then unfortunately you get siegel and schuster who were dicked over but again that was we say i can say that they were dicked over but that was just that was business at the time. It, it's we would love for it, it. It's like what you say all the time, Vince. It's like you know, why would you create something for someone, walk away from it, and you know, not own, own anything, not not you know, you you created these characters and they're being used, and you don't get anything for it. Um, True that. But there are some dudes, right? And and yeah, and I I, I want to make sure everybody is credited for what they created, but I also want them, you know, listen, you if you created this like. like all the characters that Dan Slott created who were playing around in Spider-Man's universe. It's like, that's his contribution. Those things are going to, to live on after him. And I've said it before, like when, when Eric Larson <laughs> passes on, who's going to pick up Savage Dragon and, and work no on one. that? No Nobody. One. Exactly. So, I mean, so, so it lives and dies with Eric and, and when he's done, that story's done. But when Dan Slott's gone, anything he's created is still going to live on in the Mars. Same, same thing with, you know, whatever munch, came up with for batman it, it's it, it's so so some people just want to be a part of that some people just say listen it's a fuck. I, I i'm good at drawing so i'm going to draw this comic book and and that's it that's easy money and and that's what they're going to do and they, they there's no there's no attachment they don't they don't care what their name's on it's just it's a paycheck yeah it, yeah but just i mean to to just cap off the Severin discussion. I think we're spoiled today because all of the dudes currently working in comics that we've spoken with anyway, they're, they're drawn comics because they love doing it. They got into comics because they love comics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, almost exclusively, right? I mean, look, look at Daniel Warren Johnson. I mean, he's just one. Like you talk to Stegman and Pope and, and all the guys we, we speak with on a regular basis, Matt Allison, like they just love drawing comics. You see in their faces when you're walking through art, yeah. they're all smiling. It's like, and I think that's the they... big difference. It's yeah, unfortunate absolutely. that none of the guys today can hold a candle to those guys that were just doing it to get a paycheck or whatever. But, but that's a different thing, right? That's, that's a, that's a, a value judgment on my part that many people I probably won't share, but that's how I feel. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I definitely don't agree with you there, and that's fine. I mean, um, in terms of the relative quality, I think there's amazing artists today who are doing things that you know literally couldn't have been done back then. But um, so I think there's greats in all eras. But but I I think that uh, yeah, I think what you're what you're getting at is the is the generational shift is just again how the industry shifted right like back then it was putting out disposable periodicals very quickly with not much planning for quick consumption and they were they were meant to be consumed and forgotten about and then you're meant to be picking up another one shortly thereafter so they really were churning it out i mean there was very little sure i mean we we 
the exceptions, obviously, and, and we talk about the greats and obviously Kirby being a chief among them, you know, they, they ended up creating these incredibly interesting creative vessels that uh, have shaped a tapestry of really much of our lives uh, and, and now have become, you know, morphed into these, you know, multi tens of billions of dollars of, of IP. But, but I mean, but even back then, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, Stan and Jack were putting months of thought meticulously planning out arcs of Fantastic Four. You know, it was just that they were creative. He, Kirby in particular was creative and it was like, oh, I need to come up with, all right, a character for this issue. All right, I'm going to draw him like this, and we're going to call him this, and it's going to look like this, right? And it was just he was just so astoundingly good at it that it was like they ended up, you know, standing the test of time. But it wasn't like, you know, you get guys now that literally plan out series for five years, right? They have a show bible and they they find and they work on a series for years before we ever see it. And they they plan out every plot point contrivance meticulously before they even put pen to paper or or pen to or pencil to page um and that just wasn't something that these guys had the uh i i don't know if they had the interest but they didn't have the opportunity to i mean just that that was an impossibility you know so definitely a different time yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i'm sure no one else would ever care about it but i'd love to see like a little mad men style you know, show that takes us through the journey of early oh, com- sure, yeah, right. I mean, I don't. There'd probably be a thousand of us that want to watch it, but I would. I would be among them. <laughs> so, Definitely, yeah, no doubt. I would tune in. Yeah, for sure. That Kirkman show uh, that he did was a lot of fun. I, w- I was hoping we'd get more of that. We never did. Where he, you know, he like he yeah. did the, mile, the milestone. I forget what it was called, but yeah, um, that was a lot. Of, he did. I thought he did a really good job with it. Right there was the Kirby app and the the Milestone app and the image. I know there's an Image Founders app and what was the name of that show? It was oh shit. Um, I can't help because I've never seen it. Oh, this uh, Secret History of Comics. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh, did I? I don't remember it. If I did, yeah, it was like four or five years ago, 2017, right? Yeah, 2017. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was the uh, Declaration of Independence. Uh, oh yeah, uh, okay, the yeah. Stuff. There yeah, was the Color of it. Comics, yeah. which was the Rise of Milestone. Um, there was the Siegel and Schuster episode. Right. Uh, right. There was one. There was an episode on uh, the nine eleven attacks and how it changed right. comic books. The truth about Wonder Woman. That's right. Yeah. And the Mighty Misfits who made Marvel. There you go. Neat. Yes, six episodes. Word. Excuse me. Oh my goodness. The Lord. My goochness. Uh, the um so I did finish it was Ninety Travels last week. I did finish um sixty eight pages of awesome of uh the Heroes Union, which was of course written by actually co plotter and scripter is Roger Stern. Darian Darren Henry uh was co plotter and book runner. Pencils by Ron Friends. Inks by Sal Bishima and Chris Nye. Um, cover art is by Friends and Breeding. So really, it was it, it just it was a trip down memory lane. Um, the art was fantastic. The story is funky. Uh, takes place for the most part in space. We were introduced to our characters. They're all um, the, the the tagline is you know our heroes mean business, but. Um, it's a nod to the fact that the characters 
are named after business terms. There's uh, the Blue Baron, Boomer, Bull, Crash, Honcho, Protege, Raider, Skyrocket, Strike, Startup, Think Tank, and Windfall. And um, everybody's got uh, powers you've all seen before. And, and it's it was a neat first issue. Um, there are follow-up there's a follow-up um the second issue will be written by um david michelini and um i'm guessing that uh friends and bushima and probably nye will be on the art but um the first issue the the follow it there's events that happen at the end of the first issue that will um continue in the first issue of blue baron um and then there's also a book called coming called startup which startup is the new hero on the team we kind of um she's the uh she's the reader's eyes for for we're we're learning about these characters and 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 this team with uh with her so um she's your tether and we're not just thrown into this, but it was, it, it was nifty. It felt like, um, it, it, it kind of felt like a seventies Avengers issue. It, uh, not that, not the heroes themselves, not, not these particular characters, but the way, the way Stern tells the story, uh, cause, cause that brotherhood of evil storyline, that, that, that Roger Stern with, with John Mishima and, and Tom Palmer on, on art. That's, that was a, that's a high time for me with the Avengers. I, 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 I stuck with that. Um, I just really, really dug that era. And, and the, uh, and this kind of reminded me, uh, obviously I said seventies, but and it was the eighties, but this just, I know how, I know Stern knows how to write a team of heroes and, uh, and, and the way, the way, um, they faced off against the big bad and, and how they had to, uh, overcome, the obstacles that were thrown in their way. And, and I mean, we didn't get, we got enough to get the gist of, of all of our heroes, but not everybody was fully fleshed out. I mean, there were, there are a handful of heroes. Uh, yes, it is 68 pages, but we also had a story to, uh, to tell. So, um, I, 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 I'd like it a lot. I figured I'd be amused by it. I definitely wanted to just make sure that, creators that i enjoyed uh but i was younger got um got at least some some recognition i see them working on something i want to give it a shot and and support them and and um i was happy to i i could have definitely read this and been like all right well that that was a whiff you know they tried and then i'll just put it away but i i i dug it, it, it the, the concept with the whole business aspect with the the characters and um is kind of fitting for the time because because one dude has a has a um basically on his costume on his shoulders uh selfie stick and and he's always on he's always you know he's he's uh, he's sponsored by the uh by the soda company and so he's always whatever he's doing you're catching that on camera it's happening live he's streaming it and and uh, so so they're stern is plugged in as to what's going on in the world um 
and it didn't feel like you know someone who was trying too hard and and uh, okay boomer but it was it, there was definitely a um the business aspect of the characters may not have been something i was looking forward to but as far as a straightforward comic book tale with um highs and lows and putting our heroes in danger and how they're gonna get out of it that was all here um because these aren't these aren't rookies these are guys these are comic creators who have been doing it a while so they know what they're doing and and they knew what they were doing here i i uh i thought it was a lot of fun i could have it could have gone either way and i'm i'm for me uh, i'm i'm happy it went uh it, it ticked in the positive nice good looking book it is all like slick paper there's something weird though about the interior the the inside cover um and also on on the back cover i if you um when i open up the front cover there's it it's almost like i don't know if the ink it, it's weird i it there's just it's it's um because the front the first page is fine but the inside of the front cover, um, it's almost like the the printing was was rubbed off. And there's a um, I don't I it's 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 the hardest thing to explain. But it's almost like there was someone tried to there wasn't a tear, but it's almost like there was there was a blank spot. And so someone took another just tried to paste over. Um, the image on the it's just a small little piece of paper. It, it, so, so someone took like another another sheet and kind of just ripped it, almost like it was a jigsaw puzzle, and and pasted it over. But you can't. But where they pasted it, it's off kilter. It's not lined up with what because it's it's. On the inside cover, there's all the character, all our heroes are running toward the reader, and and um, and so Bull is someone like basically glued or, or or pasted another image of the same image of Bull running, but it's not lined up, and and I, I you can kind of start to peel it, but if you do, you'll see underneath it um, the image is isn't there it's just it, it's the weirdest thing i just i i i'll i'll try to take a picture or a video of it or something but it is it's it just it's like i don't know what happened i don't know if it happened in printing i don't know if uh if something just got caught up when it was rolling off the printer i i don't know it's it's weird it doesn't detract from the story at all um but i'm hoping it's it's a one-off and uh and our book and and future books from um, Sid Comics aren't uh, aren't like this. I have to take a look at it because I'm not connecting with. Yeah, I, it's it, it. Yeah, I'm not explaining it at all correctly. I, it, it, there's simpler ways to explain what I'm trying to say, um, and I'm failing across the board. But yeah, it it's just it's weird. Take a look at it. Nice. Okay. What else we got? Oh, just a whole mess of comics at Discount Comic Book Service. Oh, yeah? Is that where we get them from? 
if you're smart, yeah, you get them oh. from there. Because you are not going to pay the prices marked on the covers. No way. You're going to pay a lot less. They get your books. They get them at the price you want to pay. Remember, write these down. Because you'll be hearing these for the rest of the month. So, I mean, if you don't want to write them down now, write them down later. But don't forget to write them down. From Boom, Cursed Pirate Girl, Devil's Cave Number 1, four ninety nine. From Bad Kids Press, Frankenrocker and the Jailbait Punks Number 1 is two forty nine. And from Fanographics Underground, it's the return of Squatrant number 14 this time will cost you $12.74. I got a great first issue. Absolutely kicking, amazing first issue. David and myself have been uh, touting the work of James Schmalky, who uh, primarily does stuff for Scout Comics. Uh, I really like Schmalky's work, but there are times, such as uh, the Electric Black anthology, that James's work looks a little rushed and undercooked. Now, Electric Black came out uh, a while ago in, in comic book years, maybe two, I don't know. So it, it may have been part of his his growing process, I don't know. But um, like I said, a, the, the little bit haphazard in the visuals that's not what's going on here this book is written and illustrated by james schmalky it's called we don't kill spiders number one and uh the the norsemen are back it seems like everybody's exploiting the the northerners these days i've read i i can name at least five comics in the past couple months that i've read that feature uh, the Norsemen, and again, this is within that little subgenre. Uh, you got a Jarl. His name's Ulf, and he he had some problems in the village. Um, livestock turning up dead, uh, and he, and they attributed the deaths of these animals to the witches that resided within their village. So so these witches are, are rounded up, and they're summarily beheaded. And they curse the Jarl and the village before they die. Um, but Ulf doesn't kill them all. He's not Metallica. He, he leaves the youngest of the group, little girl named Revna. He leaves her alive. He can't kill a kid. But what he does is he banishes her. You know, you have to leave the village. Go fend for yourself in the frigid wastes. Okay? So many years later... Jarl Ulf's village is beset by a string of murders. Multiple families beheaded in their own cabins. Men, women, little children, and babies slaughtered. It's a problem. So Ulf sends for a man who is known for his insight and integrity, a, a, a uh, a dude who's unswayed by superstition. This guy is not allowed uh, to fight in battles. He's He's been ostracized from the war bands because no leader worth their salt would let a faithless man into their, their army. See, he doesn't bend a knee 
to Odin and, and the gang because he 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 doesn't kowtow to superstition. Um and he's he's brought into the village and and allowed to investigate. It's part detective tale, even though it it's it's a fantasy epic uh, among the Norse. And he's sniffing around, and the there's one cabin that they didn't completely burn to the ground and salt, because they they thought that there was some bad mojo going on. The only way to get rid of that stuff is burn it, salt it, and it won't come back. But they left one cabin intact, primarily for the purpose of this investigator to come in and just see what was up. So he's sniffing around the cabin and he notices these strange symbols. Um, and it lends him to believe that there are, you know, dark deeds afoot. So who do you think he seeks to aid him in his search for the truth? Revna the little girl that was banished from the the village is now all grown up and she's a practitioner just like her mother and her grandmother but she's a necromancer and her totem this is where the title comes in her totem is the spider she uh she ridicules the Norsemen because she's like you you guys you 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 take these animals as your totems the bear the elk all of these beautiful creatures and what do you do you kill them and you wear their hides as like this ceremonial garb she gets like you guys are you're idiots because he's he's in talking to her and a spider crawls on his shoulder and what's your first reaction to seeing a spider on your shoulder you you kill it or at least you try to right and she just stops him dead and she's like we don't kill spiders. That's the title. So she uses her uh, necromancy to revive the spider, and it sets up the issue. But um, as they're investigating, she manages to conjure something that may or may not end both their lives, and that's the first issue. I thought it was it was great. It was cinematic. It sucked me in. The drawing is awesome. It's it's what I wanted Electric Black to be. Uh, but unfortunately, wasn't quite at that that point. But this is just amazing. I think Schmalky is just like firing on all cylinders now. This book was great. And I, I can't, it's one of those things where now I have to, I want it all and I want it all right now. Which would <laughs> probably lead to the performance on Electric Black, but whatever. Um, yeah, I thought this was, I could see this being... Um, I'm going to say the typical thing. I could see this thing being a Netflix series. It's the the first issue is that good. If it mm. reads like a first issue that was written and rewritten and structured in a way that it just pulled your ass right in, it was great. We don't kill spiders. Number one, Schmalky Scout Comics. Get it? It's really good. That's cool. Yeah. Ah. Uh... In your travels, um, I am no secret a fan of the Elseworlds, of the alternate realities, of the things that stray from what we're used to. And um, I remember when the Dark Knights of Steel was announced. A lot of people looked at the first issue cover and you're like, oh, snap, is that is that Cal and Kara and maybe that's John? And they're 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 trying to guess what this cover might be. Um, so I read the first issue and I pretty much 
became a fan right off the bat because we get we, we start off you know on krypton how it starts with with the end of the world um with jor-el telling lara it's it's happening it's you know our boys got to get look at a dodge and um and the rocket ship blasts off and leaves krypton and lands uh in a field and when the um hatch pops open we see lara screaming he's coming and jorel is holding her hand and while she is giving birth to their son uh a horde of uh, horsemen are coming near and they have their bows drawn back and arrows ready to fly and they let a bunch fly and when that happens the yellow sun kicks in jor-el blasts fire from his eyes and not only destroys the bow and arrows but destroys all the horsemen and the horses and uh when he's done with that he turns around baby cal has been born and mother and child are fine dad's fine and we fast forward to a few years later and um and this is where tom taylor and uh yes Putri kind of um introduced the rest of this world and and characters that may seem familiar to you where they kind of stand in in this new world um the kingdom of storms is ruled by um a king named uh, jefferson who happens to be wearing clothes that are similar to something you might see black lightning wear uh there is um there is someone kind of reacting to visions that they're having um and and that person happens to be named Constantine. So Jefferson is in charge of one kingdom, and uh, and and we cut to 19 years later at the castle of El, where um, Bruce is the Dark Knight, the uh, the 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 commander in arms of of the House of El. Um, young Cal, of course, is is a prince and is kind of protected. And, um, and Bruce tells Cal, you know, you're practically like, like Bruce is going on a mission and Cal wants to come with him. Um, and Bruce is just like, no, I'm shooting that down. And, um, and, and Cal's like, but you know, you, you got your team of Robins. Um, they're basically a bunch of kids, but you won't have me by my, you won't have me come with you. Like I'm, I, I'm not capable, and and Bruce is like, dude, you're practically a god. And Alfred reminds everybody, you know, you can shoot fire from your face, and and Bruce is basically just like, no, I've I've sworn to protect your family, um, from anything that from the one thing that can harm you, and and I'm not about to you know go face this this menace with you by my side. Like, why would I? Why would I bring you along to? to danger um but uh while while bruce and alfred head towards um feist village we we get we're, we're introduced to to richard and duke and um and so again you know like 
like Cal said, you know, he's got his Robin, so he's got his little, uh, he's got his burbs that let him know what's going on, including Jason, including Stephanie. Um, and they, they meet a blonde woman who, um, screams her way out of, uh, out of a fight with, uh, with Bruce. And so, of course, now, now she's surprised because he's still alive. He's standing amidst this rubble and, um, and she's not sure like how he's not also torn to pieces. So she screams again. And that's when Cal swoops in, uh, covers her mouth and, um, and Bruce knocks her out and, um, and they head back. They head back home. They head back to the castle. We're introduced to Harley Quinn, uh, the court jester. Um, and so the king and queen, Lara, Jorel and Lara are, uh, are kind of admonishing Cal because he left the castle. He went to go help Bruce. Um, of course, he's like, listen, if I wasn't there, then who knows what would have happened to Bruce. And, um, you know, listen, everybody's, these are kids and, and they're just trying to parents are trying to look out for them. Um, but while all of this is going on, you know, we find out that Bruce, Bruce calls himself a bastard, but of course his parents are dead, uh, as you know, I guess as they should be. Um, and, and Bruce and Cal, have a little bit of an argument. Jorel's like, all right, enough of this. And he takes Bruce and he and Bruce go for a walk. He reveals something to Bruce that completely blew me away. I wasn't expecting it makes, it makes sense based on the earlier events, but um, I'm curious to see if that, how that plays out over the course of the, of the 12 issues. And um, while Bruce and the King are having a little chat, there is a green man talking to a archer who was also clad in green and he um and this green man with his ring uh powers up the arrow that the archer is about to um fire and uh i'm not going to say where it lands but um shit happens at the end of the issue that is only going to make things worse for anybody who is opposing um the L's. So, uh, it, it was a solid first issue. It, 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 um, for me, I would have loved to have seen it double size. I'd have loved to see a little bit more, but the art is absolutely fantastic. Um, while injustice may not have been to my liking, I definitely am grooving to Taylor's take on alternate versions of DC heroes. Um, so I'm here for this. It, like I said, it's 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 pretty much an Elseworlds tale for uh, an imprint that really no longer exists, but this would definitely fit right in with that if it did. Um, yeah, it it should be a pretty fun twelve issues. Uh, fun is is up to um, depending on your definition of that, but I liked it a lot. In your travels, uh, check out Dark Knights of Steel. Word up. Uh, I, yeah, I enjoyed it, too, as well. I thought nice. it was a lot of fun. I'm glad you did. Um, yeah, Titan right on the art, too. I, I, it was nice yes. to see. Yes. Um, 
And it's funny that I, I enjoyed it as much as I did because I opened every previews video for the Patreon Patreon with with lamenting how many Gotham books that there are. But uh, <laughs> but every now and then one is worth uh, worth my attention. Um, in your travels, uh, check out a little book by our friends at Drawn and Quarterly, um, written and drawn by Aminder Dalewal, which is A M I N D E R. D-H-A-L-I-W-A-L. Uh, it's called Cyclopedia Exotica. Um, and it's a uh, play on words, um, obviously on encyclopedia, but it's cyclopedia because it is a book where in this world there are humans and then there are cyclops. And uh, it's effectively Amander's take on... Um, you know, race relations and the stereotypes and issues that uh, people who are different from us, particularly if they're minorities, have to deal with. Uh, but told in the in the vein of of that difference being that they have one eye, and uh, and, and what that would mean. Um, it's uh, you know, it, it's it's structured in a way like a uh, like a newspaper comic strip. Each page or two is uh, is a, basically a, a story unto itself, featuring a recurring set of these same characters of, of different cyclops that uh, that you grow to to you know they they have their own arcs. Um, like there's a there's one that was a um, that was a model, and uh, and what they modeled was uh, a bra that effectively squished the, the cyclops only have one breast but in order to look more like humans there was this bra that basically squeezed almost like a corset this the middle of their breast and so it made visually like under a shirt look like they had two breasts and so uh this person was a model for that but now regrets it there's another person that uh, decided to undergo a surgery to give himself a second eye um but it didn't go well so now he wears an eye patch um, there's a dude that, uh, is, uh, basically looking for love and he's on the apps and he goes on blind dates and that sort of thing. But he's got a bit of a, you know, it's a, he's looking for the swirl. He, he's, he prefers human women. Um, and he's a cyclops. So it's like, you know, it's just, just people. It's, it's essentially a book basically where if we were taking a snapshot of different people in a city that were dealing with, uh, microaggressions and, and, and the quirks of being from a different culture, um, you know, it's 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 sometimes on the nose, sometimes like with many strip type stories, sometimes the strips fall a little flat, but many times they're clever and made me laugh. And um, I just thought it was a lot of fun and a unique way to approach uh, a very timely but sensitive issue of of race relations and gender politics and sexual identity. Uh, and I thought it was a really thoughtful way to do it because obviously it's like it, like being a cyclops is silly and, and yet it's really not that far afield from like any of the other arbitrary differences that we make between each other. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I, I think that, uh, that if any, if, if anybody's interested in reading, uh, social commentary, but, but done in a, you know, positive sort of, uh, satirical way that, that, that does rely on the truth, but, but not in a preachy, um, admonishing, uh, tone, then then you'll enjoy this book a lot. So, yeah, give it a try. It's uh, once again, it's called Cyclopedia Exotica by Amandir Dalawal. Ka-ching. There you go. 
All right, everybody. Hey, if you enjoyed this, there's more, just not for your ears. There's more for your eyes. If you go to Twitter and Instagram and Reddit and Facebook, all over there, like horse poop. Or would that be cow poop? Well, it still smells the same. <laughs> and when you're done with that, traipse on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics, and see all the action happening over there. And then come back. Where? Where? Where, uh, where, where our October bonus for patrons episode has been released. Mm-hmm. And speaking of patrons, we've got a couple few shout outs. Uh, Where'd he go? Got, uh, Colin Martin and Chris Rhyme, Dan Tancredi, Derek Runkle, Dallas Ford, Gareth Peters, Peter Linfeld, Sam Mildner, Selby, Yay. and Mario. Mario? Who the hell's Mario? Just be, uh, and just to, just to, because uh, I know if I was getting a shout out, I want to make sure we got it right. It's Peter Linfield. What I say? Uh, Linfeld. Oh, my bad. I, I thought, okay. Turned him into a member of the tribe. I, I see Linfeld, <laughs> and, and yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah. Not there's anything right. wrong with that. As, nice. As a member of the tribe you are yourself, but, but I, 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 you know. You are absolutely, no, listen, hey, I, <laughs> it should be said as it's meant to be. That's yes, a sir. very robust list. We got people, yeah. people are kind to us. They love yes. us. It's yeah. true. It is true, and and you know you can tell your friends if, depending on what kind of um, podcatcher they use, uh, you could pretty much find this episode, this podcast, uh, anywhere. Whether yes. it's it's iTunes or Spotify or Good Pod or iHeart, basically wherever you fill your ears with shit, you can uh, you can find this podcast. Yep. Big, big facts. Oh, and I don't know if you guys realize that, that Dan Tancredi, among the list of shout-outs, was, uh, was, was the Dan that we had dinner with uh, during the Felix Day. Oh, yes. Yeah. It wasn't sure. Okay. Yes. Sure yes, yes. Yeah. Coming soon to YouTube. No? Hmm? <laughs> 11, Maybe. Well, 11 o'clock comics coming soon to YouTube. Maybe. Oh, really? Oh, I... Yeah, weren't you in on the meeting? No, I was not. <laughs> I guess that was above my pay grade. Yeah, well, most things are, right? And hopefully we'll have some, uh, some November bonus content. This Listen, week. when I joined this show in episode four, you promised me I could be on-air talent only and just show up and look pretty. True. Well, you do that. Yep. I got to hand it to you. I was rocking a fly. I got a fly-ass new, new, uh, new vest. I'm rocking. Wait, nice. wait, wait. Waistcoat <laughs> or oh, like a, like a like a like a like an outdoor. <laughs> okay. Right. It's look fucking. I could see fly in Seattle with it. Just... Jason on the public transportation with his little puffy vest, reading his comics. Back don't... off, man. Yeah, just don't go near that guy. Mask up, masked up. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm getting my booster. Got my mask on on Friday. What's that? Getting my booster on Friday. Oh, nice. Yeah, I got mine on Monday. Boost Got boosted up. Nice. Yeah, I'm hoping to get boosted up soon. It's a little perturbed because on the app, the site, the Jersey Gov site that I used to sign up for it, it specifically says, oh, do you want Pfizer or Moderna? Right? Like it asked me. So I'm like, oh, I'll take Pfizer because I had Moderna, you know, for the first two shots. 
And uh, then I get to the place and they're like, oh, we, we're, we have you down for Moderna. And I'm like, oh, I specifically requested Pfizer. And they're like, oh, like, well, we're doing Moderna today. You want to reschedule? And I'm like, no, it's fine. Like, I don't really care. Like, but why bother asking me, though? Like, I don't like I would have been fine if you just told me what I was getting. But then you asked me. What is your justification for switching manufacturers? Uh, there's not a tremendous amount of clinical evidence, but, but there's a little bit so far and studies being done that suggest that all things being equal, uh, switching would, would maybe slightly more optimal. I've seen that too. Yeah. But, but it's, it's, it's not like the data isn't emphatic enough yet, uh, to suggest that it makes all that much difference if you're not in a, uh, you know, particularly high risk category. Screw it. Why not get all three? Like just go around well, getting, I don't know getting why boosters. Anyone would opt for J. Like in retrospect, I don't know why anyone would opt for J and J if you had the choice of the others. Hmm. It's true. So and like Moderna is the strongest. So like I don't uh, Moderna. I it's like a half dose. You get a, your booster is a half dose of the of the like of the first two that you got. I want the whole whereas thing. with J and J, I think most places are recommending you get a full dose of either Moderna or Pfizer to kind of pump it up. Nice. Okay. Every, any any booster is a good booster. You know? Right. Exactly. Okay, yeah. people. We hope you enjoyed this. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, say good night. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, My God. Wait. I'm going to spell out. I'm not saying it, but I'm going to spell it out <laughs> in SOS. <laughs> Sending out an SOS. I did Morse code for David. Nice. Mm. Yep. Good night. Sunken now. The shit's going on over here. Just it. Right? What a do. They do what they do. Oh, I got the uh I got two tardy books in the in the mail today. Oh, look at you. Yeah. One that was on your list a couple weeks ago that I'm going to read for next episode. Oh, well, oh, nice. Uh, Dave, walk, welcome home. Bring home. Yep. Nice. Excellent job, David. Oh, thanks, man. Excellent job. I, that, that's, uh, Huzzah. Huzzah. <laughs> Huzzah. We're out of here, people. Tell them you love them. a month, retransmit. Yep. Oh, facts. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I mean, you got to admit, you don't have to bring them right away, but. No, do it now. That's it for that one.